Um, let me let me add my welcome to well mine actually um, and Rick's. Um, it is good to have you all here. Uh, I'm just going to pray for us and then we're going to dig into the Word of God together. Uh, Jesus, uh, would you speak to us today? Um, Lord, what amazing truths we're coming to this morning. By your grace and your grace alone, we are saved. Um, oh, look, I won't cover the whole sermon in a prayer, Lord, but Lord, you know how amazing it is that what we're going to look at. Lord, would you grab our hearts? Would you enliven us through the truth of Jesus Christ? And would you lead us to walk in the works that you've prepared for us beforehand in Christ Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. If you don't have a Bible open and, and, and you would like to, please, um, well, no, even if you wouldn't like to, I'd encourage you, open one up. If you don't have a Bible here with you, there is a, there is a small mountain of them there and also over there at the back of the church, um, conveniently placed out of embarrassment's way. You don't have to walk up here and grab one of the quite a few that are now piling up on this stool here. I'm not quite sure how that happens. But we are in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, as, as was just pointed out for us in that delightful Bible reading by, by James. Um, yeah, uh, before we dig into that text, I'm just going to give you a quick, a quick reminder of something that we looked at in week one. And if you weren't here in week one, then I'm just going to tell you something that you haven't heard from me before, uh, which is that the structure of this book. Uh, Ephesians is, is a letter. It's a letter from Paul written to primarily to Ephesus and to a, a group of other churches as well. Uh, and it breaks down really conveniently. It's a six-chapter letter that breaks really conveniently into two parts, chapters one to three and chapters four to six. If you've ever seen a cleaner structure of anything, I want to hear about it. Uh, chapter one to three, Paul opens up the depths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, really goes all out on it and shows us this incredible high picture of what God has done through Jesus Christ. And then in chapters four to six, he unpacks how the gospel truth comes in and transforms our living, transforms our lives and, and makes us new, progressively new, uh, makes us change and change and change across this life to be more like Jesus. The whole letter, though, it must be said, is gospel. And the whole letter is application. Uh, you can't separate these two in Ephesians. Part one of, the of this letter, is uh, the chapters one to three, is, is gospel heavy you would say. Uh, he's talking gospel and he wants us to see that this is a very relevant, very applicational gospel, a gospel that should come in and transform our lives. And in the second part, he's talking, it's application heavy, but everywhere where he's applying, he's pointing back and he's saying, look, look at the gospel that leads you to live in this way. Uh, he wants us to know the love of Jesus and he wants us to be transformed by that love. Even as he prayed last week, we saw uh, the truth that changes our lives, didn't we, uh, if you were here? Uh, Paul prayed that through the truth of the gospel, we would know God more because as we know God more through the truth of the gospel, we grow and grow to be like Jesus more. We're transformed by it. Within that, he prayed that we would come to understand that in Christ, we have, we have hope, we have riches, we have an inheritance, and most of all, that in Christ, God's power is, is utilized, is operated, is expressed toward us who believe. That the immeasurable 
power of the greatness of God is expressed towards us. And that last one was really emphasized. If you, if you go back to that passage sometime and read it, you'll find like half of the passage devoted to underlining the power of God in Christ Jesus that is expressed towards us. Uh, you know, it's the power that, that raised Jesus from the dead. It is resurrection power. It is the power that is in Christ Jesus above every rule and authority and power. And it is in the power that is in the one who is the head of the church, Jesus. And today, in one of, one of the most breathtaking paragraphs of Scripture, uh, Paul shows how the power of God is expressed towards us who believe. And, and if you wanted to wrap it up in one sentence, here's how I'd do it. God's power is expressed towards us in grace. Sheer grace. You might have noticed last week we didn't actually get many specifics here. Um, so, so God's power expressed toward you as a follower of Jesus, certainly, but there really weren't specifics on what that means. What does it mean that God's power is expressed towards us? He just kind of said it and then went into which power he's talking about, right? Um, and, and the answer to that question is so, so important. How is God's power expressed towards us? What does he do? Uh, because how you answer that question reveals whether you've actually, I think, whether you've believed the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, there are plenty of wrong ways that people approach this question. God's power is expressed towards me in getting me to heaven when I die, would be a fun example. Not untrue, but, but if we think that the expression of God's power towards us is fully summed up in the sentence, I'm not going to hell anymore, I'm going to heaven, then we have missed it. God's power is expressed towards me in giving me a prosperous life here and now. Money, health, beautiful wife, wonderful kids. I mean, obviously I have those things, but no. <laughs> uh, money we could put. No, anyway, um, but uh, I'm digging in danger, dangerous territory, John. Stick to the script. Um, no, like all of those things, no. I could do the no dance, but I won't, but I could. Um, the real answer is so much deeper than that the real answer is so much better than those things paul gives us uh gives it to us in in the form of a contrast um and it is it is the steepest contrast you're ever going to find first he talks about what have we come from what has god's power brought us from and he talks about it and, and what it is is it's the deepest deep, deepest depths of darkness is what his power has brought us from Paul says, you were dead in sin. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Um, this, this line takes us all the way back to the start of the Bible, back, back to Eden. Um, and, and what he's pointing out is, is, is a spiritual death that we all live in, apart from God. In Eden, Adam and Eve were created for God, created to follow him, created to find joy and peace and contentment in him in a perfect world. And instead they, they sinned and God said, in the day that you eat of the fruit, you, you will surely die. Uh, and although they didn't physically die on that day, spiritually they did. They were separated from his presence. They were separated from the one source of life, God. 
and, and, and like spiritual death is not less significant than physical death. Uh, it, it's actually, I would say it's more significant than physical death because physical death uh, and, and eternal condemnation, they are really just the, the, the outworking consequences of a spiritual death. Spiritual death at its root means separation from God because of our sin and its, its uh, rottenness in us and his perfection and glory. It, and, and, and like notice here that he, what he says, he, he de- it's not ambiguous. He, he makes it very clear. We're not just victims in this situation of sin. We are willing participants. He says, in which you once walked following the course of this world. Uh, he actually uses the word following a few times in these couple of verses because we were following, we were, we were choosing this path that we were always going to walk in. We were accountable for that. And, and then he says, not just that, we were following the leader. We, we were following the prince of the power of the air. Now, I'm just going to skip the explanation here, and if you want it later on, but who he's talking about there is Satan, um, the, the, the spiritual enemy of God. Satan. We were, you know, when you think of a follower of Satan, I think the first thing you think about is either blood or ram's horns. Um, and what you should think about, if you're a Christian, is you, just before you were a Christian. We were on the losing side of the greatest war ever. Satan versus God, creation versus creator. And we were by nature, he says, as a result of all of this, we were children of wrath. We sat under God's judgment. Uh, The the ways that we misunderstand uh, the the working of God's power towards us, and how amazing it is, I think they're often a result of us misunderstanding the depths of where we've come from. That's why I'm laboring this this morning, and that's why I think Paul labors it as well. A lot of us would acknowledge, you know, I was separated from God. Uh, I, was, I was distant from him, lost in sin, but, but, but he saved me. But when we, we speak like, you know, we weren't, like it wasn't that bad sometimes, you know? We contradict that in our lives. Um, like, like, like I wasn't as bad as some people are. Um, now, I, I, you know, I don't think many of us would say it like that. That's uh, it's a little bit confronting and condemning of myself, isn't it? But, but we get this, we run into this when we, when we run into the idea, that one that comes up in our mind of, you know, that one's a bit of a bad egg. Um, this, that one's, wow, they, they seem... Like they're never going to come to God. You know, this isn't just a, a personal issue for us. This isn't an issue of just your heart situation. Your heart situation always has outworkings in the world around you and the way you interact with it. Uh, when we underestimate the depths of what God saved us from, then we undermine our evangelism. We, we start to we look at the world and, and think of it in terms of people who might be saved and people who probably won't be saved. Um, you know, one's God could save and one's God probably can't save, although we wouldn't say it again in, in so many words. Uh, you know, that one seems pretty good. They could probably come to salvation. I think they'd make a really good Christian. That one seems terrible. I'm, I'm not even going to try. Paul himself was a wonderful argument against that kind of thinking, wouldn't he? Because, like, 
literally on his way to capture, chain, imprison, hopefully in his books, kill Christians when Jesus saves him, right? On the road to Damascus. We gotta, we gotta put to death that kind of thinking that there are some that God can't save. And, and, and the way we do that in part is by looking at the depths of where he saved me from and recognizing that it is unfathomable that he could have saved me were it not for the weight of his power expressed towards me. And if he can save me, he can save anyone. Paul brings a radical equality to humanity, doesn't he? All dead. All Satan followers, not just the guys with the ram horns. All children of wrath. But if one mistake that we make is that we, we tend to underestimate the depths of the darkness that God brought us from, here's two others that are equally significant, equally common issues. First, we misjudge God's motives in saving us. Second, we underestimate the heights of the glory of what he has brought us to. Make no mistake, it is him that has done it. Um, like, don't fall, never fall into the trap of thinking, you know, God saved me because I, because I got to him. Um, Paul underlines this a few times in this passage, but um, if, if there were two words that set the theme of this whole bit of scripture that we're looking at today, uh, I, think, I think they'd be the first two words of verse four there, right? But God, you were dead, you were following Satan, you were willingly and voluntarily in this death that you would never have got yourself out of in a million years. You were a child of wrath, but God, being rich in mercy because of the love, the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ Jesus. By grace, you have been saved. You were distant, but he brought you near. If it weren't for God's action, then we would be lost entirely, and every one of us. But God acted to save us in Christ Jesus. Here's the very the beating heart of the gospel message for us. We were dead. We were distant. We were awaiting destruction. But God's mercy and love expressed in Jesus alone saved us. God's power is expressed towards us in grace. Here's where we misjudge God's motives, right? We, we look at him and, and a lot of Christians, we functionally fall into a, a significant disbelief here. And if this is you, feel free, take this chance today to turn away from this. God's motives, either, either we might think um, that he had to, you know, that he had some form of moral obligation, that he wouldn't have been good if he hadn't saved me, so he had to do it. Or uh, that I had something that he needed, that there was a goodness in me which brought him to save me. You know, once again, not one of those things that we'd say out loud usually. You know, you don't run into many Christians who go, you go like, why did God save you? Actually, I have run into it. You go, why did God save you? And they say, because I kept the Ten Commandments. And you go, well, we need to talk about the gospel, friend. Uh, but, but most of us wouldn't say this out loud, but it's the lie that is asserting itself 
when we, when we hit a dark moment in our lives. Like Rick was talking about earlier on in the service, we hit one of those, oh no, Dad was, sorry. He hit one of those dark times when we've sinned and we start to think, could God still love me? Could he still save me? Will he still save me? Do you see it there? Do you see this lie coming out there? If God had a moral obligation to save me, then I could undo that by being morally bad enough, right? It might be undone if I, just, if I was a really bad person. You know, obviously he doesn't have a moral obligation to save everyone. He just had a moral obligation to save me. So maybe, maybe I'm going to undo that. Or if God saved me because I had something to offer, then my persistent brokenness, my persistent sin might convince him that it was a mistake, that he made the wrong move, that I don't really have anything he wants. But the Bible and God say, no. We have... God, he, he saved us for one reason, his abundant, never-ending mercy. He saved us because of his love for us and that alone, a love that is based not on anything that we've done. It's just his great love. And so it is all grace. It is all the powerful grace of God. And the thing, thing about that, if God saved us, not because of anything in us, not because I am good and worthy, but because of his mercy, then the only thing that could drive him away is if his mercy runs out. And here's the good news. His mercy is limitless. And we know it as a fact that his mercy is limitless because he paid a price to bring us into his mercy. And the price was the life of the Son of God, limitless and eternal. God doesn't run out. But then Paul uh, doesn't just say why God saved us. He, he gives us the answer to what he has saved us to. This is what makes this one of my favourite paragraphs in the whole Bible, by the way. What we get here is, is four ways that God uh, expresses his power towards us in grace. Uh, and astoundingly, he basically takes what is true about Jesus uh, in his resurrection, in his glory, in his reign even. Um, and, and he says that in a mysterious way, it is true of us. Not, not just in some distant future way, but right here and now, the things that are true of Jesus are true of us. He, he says, you were dead in sin, but God made us alive with Christ. Notice, uh, like, this is Ephesians all over, right? But notice how many times he talks about it being with Christ or in Christ Jesus in this passage and in the whole book. He's raised us up with him, he says. He's seated us with him in the heavenly places. So whilst we were in spiritual death apart from God before, a death of the spirit which led to physical death and eternal judgment, now Paul says that we have the resurrection life of Christ, that that's ours. Christians, you're not just 
waiting for a future day after you die. We're not just trundling along as before until heaven. Right now, God has made your spirit alive with Christ and is certainly alive for the rest of your life and as, as his is alive, as he is alive. God's power expressed towards us in grace by bringing us from death to life. Isn't that amazing? But not even just that. You are seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places, he says. Now that sounds awesome, doesn't it? Like, like I, I don't know. It, I think that I hear, you have been seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. And I'm like, yes! But what? Like, <laughs> but what does it mean? You know, obviously we're not physically in heaven right now. Um, if we are, somewhat disappointing. Can I get an amen there? Uh, what, what this means is that God's power is expressed to us in grace by bringing us from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. You haven't just gone, in fact, from, from the same status in one king, kingdom to the same status in the other kingdom. You haven't just gone from a slave to one king to a slave of another king, wretched and low. Paul said you were followers of Satan. You were slaves of Satan. We were slaves of Satan. <laughs> but now he says, you have been seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. You have been raised so high above our station. You know, chapter 1, verse 20, in our passage last week, he said that Jesus has been seated in the heavenly places at God's right hand. And he leaves off the at God's right hand here because we are, we are not Jesus and yet he says, we have been seated with him in the heavenly places. We are there with him. That's, that's how secure we are. That is how much we are now not a part of Satan's kingdom, but a part of God's. The power of his reign is power that is in you. And so you don't have to follow the ways of the old kingdom anymore. Do you see that implication there? You can reign in this life by saying no to sin and, and yes to God. As certainly as Christ has been raised and he has been raised. If you have trusted in him, then you are spiritually raised to new life with him. Right now, you are reigning with him in this world. And one day that spiritual reality will give way to a physical reality. You have resurrection power to say no to sin. Remember that. Throw that at Satan next time those temptations come up. If you've trusted in Jesus, you have resurrection power to follow God, to find joy, to find peace, to find contentment in the one place that truly provides those things in him. And then in verse 7, you know, we see something just just as certainly as spiritual death leads to physical death and eternal condemnation there's a there's a, a bit of a flow chart here as well spiritual life in christ leads ultimately to eternal physical life with him what does he say he says uh that i need to turn the page he says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's what's coming for you. 
Christian, the immeasurable riches of his grace. There is a coming day for every believer in Jesus when the spiritual truth of our union with Christ in his resurrection power uh, will open up into an eternal bodily reality, embracing the whole of creation along with us. For eternity, we will experience his kindness. It won't cease to be grace. It will all be grace for us for all of eternity. And it, we'll just praise him. Finally now, Paul, Paul brings together this whole passage. I say finally there. That's one of those false finalies that preachers put in. I'm not all right at the end. Sorry. Finally, Paul brings together this whole passage in, in these Second, uh, third last and second last verses, verse 8 and 9. If, if you want a memory verse out of Ephesians as a book, let me highly commend Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. That's, that's a reality you can cling to. That is a reality that can give you hope in dark days. God's power is expressed towards us in grace by giving us the faith in him that we need. Our last ditch attempt to think that God might drop us. Um, The last line of defense that Satan has in convincing us that we might fall away from God. Or likewise, that God could not save some people that he, he might be able to save some but not others. The, the lie that Satan puts in there is that he points to faith, your faith or the need for faith, and he says the faith is still up to you though, isn't it? When you think about it, you know, even, even, if, even if God's going to do 99%, right, you, you still got to have the faith. It's, it's got to come from you. We are called to have faith, that's true. But God still says, no. Even the faith itself is not ultimately your own doing. It is the gift of God. Hallelujah that we have no reason to boast. We can boast in him. And if our faith depends on him as its source... If he is the provider, then we can lean into that and trust that he will not cease to give. Finally, Paul, another finally, Paul gives us this one more way that God's power is expressed towards us in grace. And this one is so vital and yet so often missed. In this last verse, God's power is expressed towards us in grace by leading us into the Christ-shaped life the gospel-shaped life. Paul says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That is to say, you're a new creation. I, I love this. Someone, I, I got this pointed out to me by someone else recently. Um, the word workmanship here uh, comes up twice in the Bible, uh, Romans chapter 1 and here. Uh, it's a, here's a fun th- fact. It's, a, it's the Greek word poema. It's where we get the word poem from Uh, and both times it is used of masterworks of God in Romans 1 he's talking about how all of creation declares the glory of God the created things you cannot 
you should be able to look at that sunset, look at that glorious ocean and, and, and go, wow, isn't God amazing? And, and you are spoken of in the same way here if you follow Jesus. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He is, he, you're not the seventh grade project with the bit sticking out the side. You are the masterwork of the God creator of the universe. He is at work in you to display his beautiful glory in the world. And then he says, you're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Um, the place of works, of what we do in the Christian life is so important that we understand it. Because it's important, we have to walk in it. And it's important that we don't walk in it under the wrong assumptions or we'll undermine ourselves and we'll fall away. We'll, 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 we'll be destroyed by that is the word I'm looking for. Um, so often people either fall into acting like we're called to good works in order to maintain our salvation or, or that we're not called to live them at all. We, we have salvation. Now we just keep living our lives until Jesus comes back. And it's basically going to be exactly as beforehand until he gets here. Church, we weren't just saved in order to spend the rest of our lives trundling along meaninglessly. We, were, we are a new creation and we are created in Jesus to live out the works of Jesus. Created in Christ Jesus. You, know, you want to know where to find what it looks like to live the Christian life? Look to Christ. Your works have already been done by him. We're just following in his path. We're created to show the world what he is like. And in the end, we can step into that with confidence and with humility. Because God is the one providing the good works. Did you see that there? This is, this is how you can avoid ever getting undermined in your faith because your works aren't going that well. Or because your works are going so well and so you're like, aren't I the boss? No. He created you for good works, which he prepared for you beforehand. Let me, let me say, like, even saying that, we might look at it and go, oh, I knew there was, like, a hectic hard life somewhere in here, you know, that, that the grace had to give away eventually to me having to slog. Um, the life that God's called you into, it will have struggles, it will have challenges, You'll have worries and concerns and it will absolutely be the best life that you could have had. You'll have the joy of knowing the Saviour and living in the way that you were created to live in relationship with him. And that is better than anything the world can offer. Do you see, do you see the power here for living a good life? You don't have anything to earn from God. He's given it to you. But he calls you into living like Christ. And he provides the works for you. And he provides the faith to walk in them. And he gives you new life to live it. And he gives you the reign of Christ to reign in this life. See what this means? Like, let me bring this into a specific thing for us here. Nothing in your life is an accident. 
If you were created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand for you, nothing in your life is just like, a, oh, well, you know, I suppose that one's outside of God's control. The place that you live right now, the street or the farm that you are on and the, and the, and the people that you are neighbours with, they're not an accident. God didn't drop you there by mistake because he was, he was looking over in Chile for a, Chile for a little bit. Like, um, No, he put you there on purpose with good work to do there. It's a place where God has prepared ways for you to show his grace and his love to others by your works. Uh, the places we work, the people that we live with, the people we have the opportunity to invite into our lives. The, the conversations that we have, we can approach all of these things. We can approach our whole life uh, knowing that God has prepared good works for us in that life. He has gone ahead of us. He's got it ready for us. We can walk in that. He's prepared ways for us to show the world what he is like through our lives. It doesn't matter who you are if you've trusted in Jesus. That's true of you. And those good works are not they're not just our solemn duty. They are our, a gracious gift of God to you, given powerfully to us. God's so gracious towards us in power, isn't he, church? Isn't he kind? Now, let's be on the lookout this week. Let's, let's look for the works that he has prepared for us that he's calling us into. Let's look for them. And, and as I close, let me invite you, if, if, if you haven't experienced the power of God expressed towards you in grace. You know, I've, I've been speaking exclusively to Christians all day today, and yet you may have sat here and listened to this, and you might go, well, look, great. That grace sounds amazing. That life sounds amazing. The rain and the, the works and the faith, they sound amazing, but it's not something that I have. Now let, me, let me invite you. That's something you can have today. The fact that even those thoughts are hitting your heart may be a sign from God that he is giving you that faith. So I invite you, there's no magic formula, there's no just, just you say these words and you're in, you don't have to sign a contract, it's pray to God and bring him what you are and say, Lord, I, I was dead apart from you and I want your life in Christ Jesus. Save me. And he will because he's good and he's gracious. And it's nothing about you. It's all about his mercy. Would you pray with me? Jesus. And God, our Father and Holy Spirit, would you be at work here? Lord, I want to acknowledge we, we as a people, we don't always trust. We don't always, we don't always walk in a way that, that, that is as we should. But Lord, what a wonder you provide for us. You know our failings, you know our weaknesses. And you call us to trust that, that you'll give the faith, that you'll give the work, that you will you'll provide all we need, that you've given life to us. So we just want to, we want to thank you, Lord. We want to ask that you would be at work in our lives to glorify yourself. And Lord, I'm, I pray for, for any here who haven't known your incredible power expressed towards us in grace, that that would be today. 
that we would that they would know your grace know that Jesus gave his life Lord that they would pray with with all of us as we have prayed and go on praying Jesus gave his life for me and he has risen and by this my sins are taken away by, by this your wrath is turned away by this I'm moved from one kingdom to another and I'm saved and I'm your child Lord be Lord in our lives and help us to live in line with your gospel and know the love of Christ we pray it in Jesus name Amen